to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I'm your host Katrina Van Eyck and in this episode I interview an industry professional who has had years of experience in the aquatics field as a coach and several achievements as a coach working with swimmers with disability. So please extend it a big welcome to the podcast for Brendan Gayo. Brendan began his swimming career in Vanuatu, swimming laps of a popular bay with a sleeping coach and then returned to Australia to be coached by his father, becoming a national age-level swimmer. He then took on a coaching role and has been a part of coaching teams representing Australia through para-swimming since the 2000 Summer Paralympic Games in Sydney. In 2012, Brendan retired from international coaching after the London Paralympics and took on a management role at Genesis Christian College's Aquatic Centre. They couldn't keep Brendan away for long though and he returned to the international coaching team for the 2014 Parapan Pacific Championship and the 2015 IPC Swimming World Championships as well as the 2016 Rio Paralympics. Brendan has now retired again from the international coaching stage to spend more time building a work-life balance between his family, friends and his work with the Genesis Aquatic Centre. Through today's episode, Brendan shares some insights into his work as well as his thoughts on swimming in Australia and where he sees swimming moving to into the future. Please share the hidden gems you find in Brendan's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors, and you will find his contact details listed in the show notes below. If you want to share your aquatic story, we would love to share it with our guests. So please contact me via my email, regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. That's regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. Also, check out the top 10 tips for aquatic professionals uh, season one ebook from our podcast and our season one guests. You can find that on our website at aquaticmentors.com.au and I'd love to hear your thoughts and what you take out of our ebook. It's been great sharing the stories and knowledge behind our guests and really... So let's jump in and find out more about Brendan's journey in swimming. So Brendan, how did you start your journey in swimming? Well, my journey in swimming started in Vanuatu. I was born in Penrith in, in Sydney and... My dad got transferred to Vanuatu when I was about nine uh, to Port Villa. And uh, he was an accountant there and used to do a lot of entertaining with clients and all that type of thing. And particular night, I was probably about 11. And there was a, a bloke there called Richard, and I can't remember his surname. And he used to coach my father down in Sydney. And uh, when they used to swim in, uh, I think, Lake Parramatta in the winter. And... Anyway, Richard, uh, I didn't realise he was probably quite drunk. And he said, come and see me and I'll be your coach. And he was a, a part owner of the resort at Ericor Island. And I lived up the road. And uh, a few weeks later, I packed my swimming kit, rode down to the, uh, the little ferry that goes uh, across the island, jumped on the boat and found Richard. And he looked at me and said, what are you doing here? I said, well, you said you'd be my coach. He laughed and he said, oh, did I now? He said, oh, well, see that beach there? I said, yep. He said, well, one length of that beach is one lap. And if you swim freestyle like this, touching your hands out in front, that's called catch-up. 
go do 20 laps of the beach. So I went and did 20 laps of the beach and uh, came back and he was asleep. So uh, went home, went down there the next week and he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, he said, you'd be my coach. He said, yeah, that's right. He said, well, see the beach there. Last week we did catch up, didn't we? I said, yep. And he said, this week we're doing catch up and then you're going to scrape your thumb along your body past your armpit and that's called chicken wing. Go do 20 laps of the beach, catch up, it's chicken wing. So I did and uh, went back after I'd uh, finished to see him and he was sound asleep. I'll probably look back now and probably uh, realise he was probably uh, having a midday uh, carver or, or mid-afternoon carver or something like that and having a nap afterwards. But anyway, that went on for about 12 months and so I was doing 80 laps of the beach and got to the final time, the, my final swim before we came back to Australia and we came back to Brisbane. He said, all right, do 100 laps of the beach. So I went down to 100 laps of the beach and for the first time I saw him peeking from behind a tree, actually having a look. Before that, I'd never seen him watch me. Went, of course, to see him afterwards and he was sound asleep. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, it, it was a uh, yeah. a tidal lagoon, so I was generally swimming with the tide one way and against the tide the other. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, haven't been back since. Came back to Australia in 1984 and uh, joined the Fernie Hills Swimming Club. And my father coached me and then joined a, a swim club and swam competitively. So. Wow, what a start to have that. Just go in and the initiative to do it yourself and swim and think, well, he's going to be watching me and he's not, but you still did it and you jumped in and built up such strength that you could do so many laps of that bay. And then, yeah, to continue it, I think that's an amazing story and very inspirational to just throw yourself out there as a kid. Yeah, well, it was fun. And, and of course, you know, you, as you're swimming along, you're seeing some coral and some fish and all sorts of things and, you know, the tide might be varying. So the the pace of the tide against me was probably changing. So, you know, it was, um, and, the you know, the tourists, sometimes they had to swim past tourists or through tourists and watch out for the occasional sailing boat. Wow. Wow. What a, what a start to swimming. Yeah. That's amazing. Sorry, that's really blowing my mind. What a fantastic start. And then <laughs> yeah. to have such a scenic, scenic swim as well. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. <laughs> you should have just pretended to be a shark when you saw the tourists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So from there, you came back to Australia and did your competitive swimming with your father as your coach. Yep. How did yep. it progress? Oh, look, it, it progressed pretty well. You know, I got to national age final uh, level. Didn't progress past there and... I uh, was married very young with a, a baby and life had to kick in and I needed employment. In, in my final year of school, so before before that occurred, in my final year of school, I was down the uh, pool and the coach there, uh, his name was Martin Sherrington at the Fernie Hills Pool, and Martin's uh, assistant coach hadn't turned up and he said, oh, I need you to coach that stroke correction class. And I, I said, well, I don't know what to do. He said, very simple, simple progression of kick, drill, swim. So that's what I did. And that ended up turning into my group every week from then. And the year after I left school, I became his assistant manager and assistant coach. And 
uh, life progressed from there into the uh, coaching side of things. I worked there for two years and then uh, started at a little state school swimming club called Scarborough State School, Scarborough Sharks, and was there for three years and then ended up with the uh, contract management position back at Fernie Hills after that. So unfortunately, I never had a lot of mentoring. Uh, I think it, it probably would have been good for me to spend a lot of time under a good coach for a number of years first before becoming a head coach. Yeah. It sounds like, though, you're the type of person that just jumps in and does things and sort of learns on the run as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot of mistakes. But, you know, generally uh, I've always been very solution-focused and quite strong on, on trying to build relationships and found that doing that I was able to get a lot out of people. Yeah. So making that connection really made a, a positive difference to your swimmers and what they gave back. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, good work. I like that because I think on the same field, I connect really well. I'm not so great on sort of the timing and all that side of swim coaching, but I really like to make that connection with swimmers yeah. um, and then really build from there what they need and then hopefully if they need any more on the timing, I can throw them on to someone else <laughs> no that's really good I like that and it's such a great way to show you know where you can go with these skills that you have you can jump straight in and start that coaching but you've also recognized that lack of mentoring was something that was there that may have you know if you had it you could have pushed forward a little bit more but to see yeah. what you've done and what you've you do now it's an amazing journey and you've learned from a lot of it yeah thank you and do you now mentor other kids or other coaches coming through? I would say yes. I, I help people where I can. If they want it, I, I'll always say yes, of course. And kids, I, I do think a big part of coaching is coaching for life rather than just coaching for swimming. And and not every swimmer is going to make it to states and not every swimmer is going to make it to nationals and not every swimmer is going to make it to a national team. Yeah. and they need to be prepared for uh, what comes after swimming. And uh, I think, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, and I think every coach plays their role in that. Yes. Sorry, yeah. and, and swim teacher. Every coach <laughs> and swim teacher plays their role in that. I like that. Good turn. Yeah. It's true. And, it, yeah, everyone takes their time, and it is about growing. It's a topic that's really come up a number of times. It's about growing the swimmer to be a better person, not just a great swimmer, because, yeah, yeah these achievements are for the start of their life, but once they retire, what do they have left? And that's something that's really been shown in the last couple of years where we've had swimmers retire and you know, they've brought up the fact that, you know, I have nothing else. My whole identity is swimming. Yes. So be able to give them those strengths and then be able to relate it to everyday life. That makes such a difference in their lives. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your journey in swimming? Or oh, is there well, a few? Katrina, there's been so many lessons. I think probably one of the biggest lessons is that every swimmer is worthwhile and and every coach is worthwhile and every swim teacher is worthwhile. Everyone within the sport or, or in the industry is, is playing their role and contributing. And, you know, it's very easy to uh, be focused on the, the good swimmers 
and not focus on the, the kid in lane eight who just might not be coordinated or just might not have that competitive instinct or just might not have the passion. Uh, but you can all, always get a lot back from every swimmer if you're willing to put in. I find that's the same from swim teachers and, and coaches. I, I've been fortunate enough in the positions that I've held over the years to have had a lot of contact with a lot of coaches across Australia and across the world, uh, especially in Paralympic swimming. And I don't think there's a coach that I haven't learned something from. You just need to find what you're looking for or find what they can offer you. And that's it. You can learn from everyone. Everyone's got their own style of doing things and it's about finding something and then relating it back to what you do. Yep, absolutely. That's a really good lesson and a really good point to make. I think a lot of new people coming in need to really listen to that because it is something, you go to conferences and it's a common saying, go to a conference and find one thing that you learn. And I always try and find one or two things from each session that I learn or they do different to what I can and then how can I relate that or can I do it in my swim school or my coaching? So I think that's a good point that we need to always learn, but it doesn't matter if it's someone fresh out and they've just done their course and they may be just out of school or someone who's been in it 40 years or so that you can still learn so much from both. Absolutely, Katrina. And, you know, I think when, when, when you go to a conference, don't just look for the one or two things that you could learn but look for the one or two people that can become contacts over the next 12 months that you can learn from. And when you go to the the conference the next year, the next two or three people you can make contacts. And and what they turn into is contacts for life. Soon people will give their time when they have the time. And, and, you know, I know I, I was guilty when I was young of trying to approach coaches at a swim meet and always felt like I was, you know, pushed off or pushed away but I was approaching them at the wrong time I was approaching them when they were really busy and I should have looked for the right time to approach them because I haven't come across a top swim coach or a a top swim teacher yet who doesn't have time to share with people who want to learn yep and that's it and that's the thing I've been finding with my podcast like the amount of people I contact and say would you like to be on there's only been a few that have said no I don't think I'm good enough and to me they are everyone that I speak to or want to speak to has a lot of information to share but everyone's been willing I mean I spoke to a lot of my idols and to share or to learn from them just in such a a thing like a podcast and it's amazing that they're willing to do more they're always saying you know if you want to catch up come back and always come and and see our program and you know always yeah I'll see you at the next conference or keep doing what you do I think it's amazing to be able to make those connections and it is the conference is just a time where everyone's celebrating everyone's a lot more relaxed you know after swim meets and things like that pick the times that's really good advice is to pick a time when people are a bit more relaxed and they're not so focused on those performance well whether you enjoy a drink or you don't enjoy a drink go to the bar because there's a lot to be learned in the bar and there's a lot of good friends to be made in uh, that environment and 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 yeah some some people do enjoy themselves quite a a bit there but I never realized until I went the value of 
the after conference drinks or, or drinks at the end of the uh, national championships or whatever it might be. Yeah. And that's one thing I missed out on the conference last year. I didn't really know many people, so I didn't hang around to the drinks after the big dinner at Asta Conference. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish I did. I wish I sat back and, and just enjoyed. And apparently there was some hoops going on. So it, yeah. when, when I was a uh, kid, Katrina, there was a, a book called The Nuts and Bolts of Swimming. And it was by Dr. Keith Bell, I think. I think. I, I hope I'm right. And one of the lines in, in that was, it was about uh, trying to make people more assertive and to, to go buy a uh, Coke at McDonald's and drink it and at the end go back and ask for a refill because there was too much ice in the drink. Oh. And, you know, I probably challenge a lot of swim teachers and coaches at the conference to do just that, go and say, set themselves a challenge of meeting five people. And, and just being sort of walking up, hey, how are you, where are you from? And, and, you know, be surprised how much people do engage in return. Yes, yeah. And it's the thing of, you know, even at, you have the lunchtime break or the part-time break and you'll see someone in your in your group that you're in a, a session, you can say, what did you think of that? Where are you from? Yeah. And it's amazing what people have to say and, what, and to be able to debrief those sessions at the same time. So it's both beneficial for both meeting new people and yeah. Absolutely. I really like that point. That's good. And then hopefully we can meet in person in a conference yeah. <laughs> and do that and get more people connected. I really like I owe a few people a few drinks though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think so. I think they'll be looking to buy you a drink for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that could be dangerous too. <laughs> <laughs> So what's been your biggest highlight in the journey or has there been a few different ones? Oh, I've, I've had so many highlights. Um, you know, when we start with, you know, I've been lucky enough to go to five Paralympic Games and four of those as head coach. Uh, the Sydney Games was just a, an amazing roller coaster ride of emotion and then to, to lead the Australian team through Athens, Beijing, London, and uh, keep it away in London and get called back for Rio was uh, overwhelming as well. But to live that life, both lead Australian teams to over 50 international events. A couple of Commonwealth games in there and one of those was a home game. So being fortunate enough to attend two home games. Uh, Both highlights, but, you know, I had a girl uh, called Tamara Nowitzki uh, that I coached and she's home at the Sydney Paralympics and she won the silver medal in the SB700 breaststroke. And it wasn't the medal that was the highlight for me. It was afterwards uh, she came running up and gave me a hug and said, we did it. Oh, wow. And, yeah, that, that was a real highlight uh, for me. And I'll go back to uh, talking about, you know, even the swimmers in lane eight. There, there was a, a girl that I, I coached at Scarborough State School Swimming Club years ago. And she was not athletic at all. And uh, she wasn't a good swimmer. So I I won't mention her name, but I remember her name very, very well. And she couldn't qualify for any swim meets, but she swam for for us at a little three-way meet against two other little swimming clubs, uh, just a points meet. And she, she was 13 and we had to swim her up in the 
fifteens uh, and over because we only had one swimmer in that age group and she she swam up and in this particular late race she, uh, she came third and, and got a ribbon and she turned around fist pumping and, and gave me this big wave and you know to this day it still brings a bit of emotion to me you know this this was a girl that was never going to be a swimmer she couldn't feel the water and she just wasn't athletic but that was her moment that was her olympic medal and that, that was just a, a moment that I'll always cherish. Wow. What a big, a big highlight. Yeah, just it's her Olympic medal, her achievement, and it's something that she's strived for that whole time and you are able to give that to her that achievement. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. What a yeah. simple but a massive highlight all in one. Yeah, well, she, I never saw her win another a ribbon at any other uh, swim meet, and she certainly didn't win medals uh, at swim meets that were bigger. But that was, that was her moment, and she had her, her time to shine. And um, uh, I'll be pretty positive that she still remembers that moment. Yes, yep, those are the ones that when we say, a lot of the time we say, oh, these swimmers don't remember the achievements as they get older. Those little achievements aren't mm-hmm. something they remember. But for someone like that who is not physically able to you know, build such a great career in swimming that's to be able to put that time in and make that small achievement for her that would just be massive. Yeah. yeah. And so rewarding for you as a coach to be able to see that. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I think if, you, if you're in coaching or, or swim teaching, you, you probably have moments every week, every month, every season, every year that that are, are great moments and it's uh, always interesting to look back to, to which ones give you the most joy. Yes, that's right. And it is a lot of the time like those simple things of, oh, I've had a kid who finally achieved to put their face in the water or, you know, made a PB and they've been trying for ages. So those simple little things that you've made that difference and, you know, the ecstatic like I had a kid who put his face in, wouldn't put it in and then eventually put it in and now they're like a fish in the water. You can't get them out. So those pivotal points where they really change and grow that confidence is amazing. And, you know, just going back to uh, Tamara, Tamara was, especially because a couple of weeks ago was the 20th anniversary of the Sydney Games. Can I tell you a story? Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) to hear it. She she came into the pool and... (laughs) in uh, 1994 uh, to see me and she rolled down in a wheelchair and she said, will you coach me? And I said, well, you know, can you swim? And she said, yeah, I can swim. I said, well, will you pay me? <laughs> she said, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you. I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, oh, I've got cerebral palsy. I said, right, oh, well, I don't know what that is. And she said, well, I have spasticity in my muscles. Yeah. I'm trying, okay, all right. And then she stood up and I, I said, well, can you walk? And she said, yes. I said, well, right, okay. She said, but I, I tire very quickly and that's why I use the wheelchair. Yeah. So, okay. And she said, when can I start? I said, well, okay, start on Monday. It's uh, $20 a week and bring your swimming gear and she did and it it was the worst session I ever coached anyone 
I did not know what to do. I, I didn't know what cerebral palsy was and there was no Google back then and I didn't own a set of encyclopedias or anything like that. And she um, hopped in the water and said, what do I do? I said, 200 freestyle. She did a 200 freestyle and she said, what do I do now? I said, 200 kick. And when she finished having, she said, what do I do now? I said, well, what's your favourite stroke? She said, breaststroke. I said, all right, go 200 breaststroke. And she finished that and she said, what do I do now? I said, well, 200 warm down and hop out. The worst session I have ever coached. I felt like uh, Richard back in uh, Port Villa in Vanuatu. And anyway, she came back and she kept coming back and, and swimming. And, you know, after a couple of weeks, because she kept turning up, the sessions got better and I worked out what I could do and that I wasn't going to hurt her because that, that was my main fear was what if I said something too hard and I hurt her and after about two or three weeks I said do you need the wheelchair like you 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 roll down here you hop out you walk to the pool do you need the wheelchair and she said no probably not I said good get rid of it and she did and the next day she arrived with crutches or sticks as she used to call them and she walked along with her sticks and she walked down with them to her stretching before training and and then she put them on the ground and walk across to the pool. And after about another six weeks, I said, hey, Tamara, do you need those sticks? And she said, no, not really. And then I never saw them again wow. after that until she got injured. Uh, so I, I think over the next, uh, what was it, seven or eight years of coaching her, I only saw the, the wheelchair once or twice and I only saw the crutches uh, a couple more times than that. And it was only when she'd uh, been injured in some capacity. And along the way, I just kept challenging not just herself, but myself. Yeah. And challenged myself to see her not as a person with a disability, but to see her as a person with tight muscles. Yeah. And I challenged herself not to see her as a, herself as a potential Paralympic swimmer, but an able-bodied Paralympic swimmer. I like that. So at the, the end of the day, she was she was more able-bodied than most able-bodied people. Yeah. She ended up getting a driver's licence. She finished her university degree and all of those things. And she was quite an amazing story. She's, she's had troubles uh, since finishing swimming. She was diagnosed with dystonia and uh, significant depression and has had all sorts of issues since she even wrote a book am I allowed to say the name of the book yeah definitely because I'd love to read it called no ordinary girl and I think from a a coaching perspective I've had to do a lot of travel and a lot of talking to coaches about how to coach swimmers with disabilities and I think the best way to coach a swimmer with a disability is forget about the disability and just see what they can do. Push them, see what they can do. Push them, see what they can do. Because isn't that how we treat all our swimmers? Yeah, that's right. Yep, there's still a person under there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that, that, that's part of the journey. Tomorrow, I suppose, if she hadn't come into my life as a swimmer, I would never have had the opportunities in coaching that I've had with all those national teams and to be... Uh, a national head coach of a Paralympic team. Uh, it was her that 
created those opportunities to me. So I'm very grateful to her uh, for that experience and for walking into my pool. And I, I sincerely apologise for those first couple of weeks of training sessions. They were just awful. <laughs> I um, As you were saying at the start, I sort of got a connection between you and her in regards to you and your old coach in Vanuatu yeah. and then you and as her coach and just seeing you know the progression go through and then you've taken notice like he took notice from popping around behind a tree so (laughs) (laughs) I was a bit quicker in taking notice and and, and, um you never siesta yeah I learned a a bit quicker because what happened there is she committed and she committed wholeheartedly and as she committed she became the standout in our squad. She, she changed the culture of our squad mm-hmm. because as she raised her standard, everyone else rose around her. Yeah. If they can do that, then you can do it. That's yeah. Something. yeah. And, I mean, I've been brought up with a slight, so I've got a mild disability myself, yeah. and it's amazing to see that. And my mother was always part of disability. She taught gymnastics with disability, writing for disabled, and it has always been a passion of mine to actually see the person before the disability. And I really like how you worded that and to be able to push them. And they do stand out. A lot of the time, people with disability are the ones that are the most resilient. They are able to stand up to a lot of things that able body can't do because they've had to push through so much. I've got so much more empathy. And to be able to push them and determination comes out when they're really stuck against the wall and you bring that on in their training and in their, the coaching that you do and then you just push them that little bit further each time and it builds up their resilience so much and they're able to power through. Yeah, we, we had a lot of challenges on the way. There were times where, you know, looking back, her, her, we'd be doing sessions, especially as it got hotter, and her, her body would go into spasm. Some of the muscles would go into spasm. Yeah. And... It was almost like a seizure, but there was, it wasn't a seizure. She was conscious. It was just the, the muscles spasming. And yeah. we trialled a number of uh, very different things for that. And in the end, it was as simple as she just needed to drink two, two litres of water every training session. And if she was on top of her hydration, the spasms didn't occur. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, it was quite an adventure and, um, yeah, like I said, very grateful to have had that time. But to have also made a difference in her life to have her coming in in the wheelchair and then, you know, you were able to push her to the point that she could walk in and she could get her driver's licence and she could, be, could become like any able-bodied person and live a very normal life for most people. I think that's amazing that you've made such a difference and that's where you highlighted before the whole building a swimmer or making a person is what coaching is like. And you've just done that as a great example. Katrina, I'd say she made more of a difference in my life than I did in hers. And that's probably, I'd challenge coaches and swim teachers to look at it from that perspective of in coaching that kid with a disability or teaching that kid with a disability yeah, there'll be an impact in their life. But the impact on your own life would be far greater. Yes. Yeah. Good point. I really, really like that. 
And it is something that it highlights through your journey as a disabled coach and a disabled swim teacher, just seeing that difference they make and they enlighten your life so much. I think that's fantastic to be able to share that. And then to have achieved what you achieved with going through the Olympics and Commonwealth Games and building more swimmers in the career of more swimmers. Fantastic yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah, I, probably um, when I was coaching swimmers with disabilities, again, I, I probably, I, I'm probably not a fan of the term disabled coach. I'm more of a fan of just being a swim coach. It's just there your, your clientele yep. is that group and they're a mixed bunch of missing limbs, tight muscles, intellectual disabilities and, and those types of things is, is still getting the best out of the athlete. It's just the uh, the machine or the athlete that we're trying to get the best out of uh, is just a bit different. Yeah, very good point. And that, again, goes to seeing the person more than the disability. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. I really like that. And well done for your career and making such a difference in the lives of so many people. Yeah, thank you. Again, I, I feel like the privileged one. It was, um, I, I had the journey and I feel they probably gave me way more than I could ever give them. Very true. Yep, very true. I like that. So you mentioned before that you haven't really had a mentor in your career. Is there anyone, though, that stood out in sort of pushing you through your career or getting yeah. you to do certain yeah. yeah, so when, when I say I haven't had a mentor, I, I never had a single coach as such that that in, in my younger years, as I got older, you know, probably a lot more people were involved and probably a, a long list. I, I wrote down the list. <laughs> I like that. So I'll start with my father, Tony Keogh, who was my first coach and, well, sorry, second coach after Richard. <laughs> um, so, you know, obviously he got me to that national final level and uh, he also coaches. He works with me currently. He's one of our assistant coaches here at Genesis. Oh, wow, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, it's good to have that grandfather figure on pool deck. Yeah. Uh, good for the kids and good for the uh, parents. Then there's some other people as well. John Rigby. I learned a bit about business of swimming around John Rigby. He's a a successful swimmer, uh, coach, and swim school operator, owner-operator. And uh, I learned a lot around the business of of how to run a business from him. Also, Martin Sherrington, another coach, and uh, his head coach at Fernie Hills back in those early days and so I was his assistant coach there for a year or two and learned a lot from Martin and also how to run a public swimming pool. From there, probably a, a young fellow back then, a guy called Wayne Lomas, who's currently in uh, Canada, he gave me uh, my first introduction to, I suppose, that uh, squad pathway, let's call it, or competitive pathway. He put me onto a, uh, he was working for Swimming in Queensland, he put me onto a female distance development squad and I started to, to learn a lot more then attending those. Uh, the first Paralympic Games I went to, the head coach was Matt Brown and I've learned a lot from Matt uh, through that period but also over the years since. Brendan Burkett was a swimmer at the Sydney Paralympic Games and flag bearer. And 
in 2002, when I took over as head coach, started to use Brendan as our sports scientist for Paralympic swim teams to, to Worlds and Games. And in those early days, he, he was so valuable to me. I was probably on the phone to him weekly. So he was quite a strong mentor through that period. Uh, he's now the head coach of the Paralympic uh, program. So I'm looking forward to watching him on his head coaching journey now. Wow, uh, fantastic. Yeah, Alan Thompson is the national head coach uh, for the Olympic team. Um, helped me a lot. Uh, you know, I, I learned how to manage a team. Uh, but also in a tough period of my life, Tomo uh, sent me straight and got me back on track. Lee Nugent, national youth coach and then became national uh, or Olympic head coach, uh, was there, good leader for us within that higher performance uh, program at Swimming Australia back then. And, you know, was always willing to give his time and talk about swimming. And I learned a lot of Nugget. And uh, Greg Toll, during my time at Swimming Australia, he was the national open water uh, head coach and I learned a lot from Greg, but I think the best thing that uh, I probably got from Greg was the, the constant uh, support. Very hard when you're running a, a national program and you, you think, okay, am I on the right track here? And having that, that person that you can go to, to talk to uh, about, okay, here's some things I'm doing good, but here's some things I'm not doing good and I'm unsure of my way. And I just found Greg a, a constant support and uh, still to this day. Uh, in his coach's Paralympic mentor coach. I find him a, such a, a good support. Along the way, every every coach who was ever on a, a team helped me. You know, oh, some of the coaches I can think of, Frank Hyman and Peter Freeney, very, very grateful to those guys. Uh, Graham Carroll, John Shaw, uh, Peter Bishop, and, and a lot of others. Like, like I said, any coach who, who was ever on a a team has, has helped me in some way. And not just every any coach, any staff member who was on any team helped me in some way. And I learned in some capacity from that person. Amazing list of people there that have made an impact on your life. And it's fantastic to see that you have taken such great skills and knowledge from them and been able to use it um, in many different capacities because they've helped you in many different ways. I think that's fantastic. And you mentioned also any staff that are on those teams and involved in swimming, I think just be able to take out anyone in any part of the industry it makes yeah. a massive difference. And then, as you mentioned before, your swimmers as well. So, Yeah. It, it takes a team of people for a team to perform. Yeah. And, you know, all of, all of the people on that team need to um fulfill their role, you know, and, and do it well. And, you know, very fortunate with the Paralympic program, with, with the Paralympic team, especially as we moved towards London, where we did extremely well, that um, I just had this fantastic group that knew what their job was, how to perform it, and how to get the best out of each other and everyone on the team. And, you know, a standout there for me there would have been uh, we had a team psychologist called Jason Patchell and he was uh, quite young when he started working with us and I think he worked with us for about six years and by the London Games he was just outstanding, an outstanding support for me in, in my role as head coach. But, 
but also the way he uh, moved around the team without crossing boundaries and just supporting every team member. And it's amazing to be able to see people like that be able to stick with it and not just say, go do one games and, and that's it. They're there in it for the long haul and to make that difference. Yeah, I, I found that if you could have that consistency with your team, uh, you're more likely to get success. It, it just created stability, created that level of calm that you needed, that the athletes could trust, that the staff knew what they were doing and what they had to do in that environment, uh, that the staff uh, didn't get on their own ride. You know, if I, if I look back to, you know, I mentioned earlier, back in the Sydney Games, I was on an emotional roller coaster. By the time we got to London Games, we had developed this tenet or mantra or whatever you want to call it, that it was get off the ride. And that was so that we didn't get on that emotional roller coaster and we were able to keep our calm uh, so we weren't using too much emotional energy. Because, yeah. you know, we, we found the team as a whole was like an organism. And if people within the team started to get too excited, the whole team got too excited. Or if certain people got down too much, the whole team could get down too much, down a lot. And we needed emotionally, we needed a flat line. So we developed this saying, which was just get off the ride. And every team member was allowed to say that to each other. And every team member knew how to receive that message and not be offended by it. Wow. What a thing to be able to pick up just that small point of yeah, making sure you're not going on the emotional ride and especially with everyone, but to have the, I suppose, understanding that someone could come up to you and just say, get off the ride. And you know, firstly, what they're meaning. And secondly, that you would take it and not take offence to it. It's fantastic. Oh, but that's all being part of a team is if your teammate calls you out on something, you own it straight away. Yeah. Brilliant. Well done. What a thing to be able to implement as well. And it builds such an environment for these young swimmers to be able to learn from and then take those skills into life. Yeah. So what advice would you give to a new swim teacher or coach or someone looking to move into the disability side of swimming? You've had some great advice already. Is there anything else that you would share? First of all, young swim teacher or young coach, and when I say young, I mean young in experience because it could could be someone middle-aged, it could be someone older just starting their swimming journey and you don't have to be young to have a or create a good swimming journey. Mm. So my, my first bit of advice would be um, look for opportunity and always look for opportunity. And every every swimmer you teach, every swimmer you coach, everyone you work with, every parent and every coach you meet or every uh, swim teacher you meet all provide some sort of opportunity for you to develop and learn from. Mm-hmm. And learning is always there and you, you're learning about the individual or you're learning about the sport, learning more about water and and how to move through water. In relation to people wanting to work with disabilities, uh, I'm always very, very clear on most people with disabilities who are involved in sport are more able-bodied than your average able-bodied person. 
and by able-bodied, I mean being able to use 100% of what you have. And if you're able to use 100% of what you have, then you are able-bodied. Yeah. Um, and so that's my definition of able-bodied. So what, what I would encourage some teachers and coaches to do the uh, coaching is not, not see the disability, but see the opportunity and challenge the person, challenge the, the swimmer. All too often they don't get challenged. And look, look for the pathway for them that they might want to achieve. And, you know, sell the vision. You know, how often do we hear swim teachers and swim coaches saying to kids, oh, you could go to the Olympics or you could go to state or you could go to nationals or whatever it might be. Yeah. And we sell the vision constantly. Well, those kids with disabilities, you know what? You could go to states, you could go to nationals, you could go to the Paralympics. And just learn about who a few of the heroes are of, you know, we all know Ian Thorpe and Grant Hackett. And most of us know Matt Cowdery. But then who are the other heroes of Paralympic swimming? People who, who've won multiple gold medals or, or gold medals, you know, Jackie Freeney, uh, Peter Leake, uh, Rick Pendleton, you know, Blake Cochran, Brendan Hall, Ben Austin, Katrina Porter. You know, learn about these people as well, not about just about the Olympians. So you can sell that dream. And, and you know what? Sell those swimmers to the able-bodied kids. You know, Matt Cowdery, 13 Paralympic gold medals. You know, it's just Australia's greatest ever Paralympic uh, gold medal winner. He's, the pool down in Adelaide is the Matt Cowdery pool. Educate your swimmers on swimming and who the, the champions are within the sport. So well said. I think I'm just going to leave that there because that is so well said in many levels, exactly what people need to know. That's amazing. Well done. Thanks, Katrina. I'd love to be able to, like, as you said, we all know Ian Thorpe, we all know Grant Hackett, we all know Kate Campbell, Bronte Campbell, all those ones. We need to know our para swimmers. We need to be able to share them because they have done so well, they've achieved so much. And if we're going to attract more para swimmers into the sport, then we need to give them those role models as well. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of great role models out there. Yes. And they're so willing to be able to give back as well. Yeah. Well said. That is just brilliant. So for you, what does swimming look like into the future? Uh, well, you know, you, you sent these questions beforehand and, and this one had me stumped <laughs> uh, because for me it, it could have so many variations. Yeah. And for me, it, it swimming in the future for me, I mean, what it looks like, I hope, is life balance. Yeah. And when I talk about life balance, I talk about having missed uh, 10 of my daughter's birthdays by the time she was 18. Wow. And so many of my, my, both my son's birthdays and prioritising swimming ahead of family. And so for me now, it's about prioritising um, fairly and correctly to family and friends and swimming. And 
making sure that the level of commitment is appropriate at every level to what it should be. So life in the, the future for me, I, I'm employed at Genesis Christian College as the director of club sport. I oversee the, uh, the swimming program here and the other programs, that uh, sporting programs that we run. So there's a tennis program, a football program, a uh, triathlon program, and then we have uh, relationships with some of the local clubs um, that fall under my watch as well. Uh, example, netball and rowing. So, you know, I, I have a lot on my plate here. So ultimately, I want to continue to see uh, the, the swimming program here grow. I enjoy coaching. I want to see these swimmers uh, perform to the best of their abilities and uh, achieve their goals. So my goal is more around the swimmers achieving their goals now. I don't have ambition to make a team myself. Mm-hmm. Um, after the Rio Games, I, I got home and emptied my suitcase and, and for the first time, I think it was about 15 years, I put the suitcase away empty without repacking it. And that was a massive weight off my shoulders to be able to do that. So uh, for me, the, the future is contribute as much as I can to swimming, but maintain a, a life balance. Well done. And to be able to give back to your family and, and it's such an important time too as they grow up, you yeah. know, they will be looking to start a family of their own. So to be able to share, and but also then on the other hand, share your knowledge and build those swimmers and build those sporting heroes in the Genesis program, whatever sport they're involved in. Um, and to share with them what you know from your experience is just amazing to be able to give back and build them but also be able to keep that time with your family and share it generously between the two. When you do work out the life life work balance, we might have to get you back on so we can share that with everyone. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, it's funny. I did my um, did my uh, level one. It was back then coaching accreditation back around 1990, I think. And there, there was all these amazing coaches amazing coaches that lectured at it. And back then they said, uh, if you haven't been divorced, you haven't coached hard enough. (laughs) Oh, that's, wow. So I think think the philosophy has changed a fair bit now. I I certainly hope it has. Mm. Um, But that was a, uh, you know, it was a, a, a pretty uh, tough message to be receiving as a young person and, you know, I certainly in my life probably let my ambition overtake my decision-making when it came to uh, some life choices. Yeah, so anyway, that's that's life. We all, all make our choices, uh, whether they're right or wrong and good or bad. But I don't, I don't think it was good advice back then from that group of coaches. No, and it's not something that, you know, as a new coach, it's yeah, definitely something you don't want to hear. It's, I think definitely these times it has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a lot more to do. There's still a lot more understanding um, as head bodies in swimming. It, they can do a lot more of sharing how to get that work-life balance and how to build the, the mental side for us to be able to switch off and take a break 
Um, and I know here after summer, I'm mostly all training in summer. So after summer, I have that month off where I think, oh my gosh, I've finally finished. I can just relax and I can see my kids and see my family. I'm not rushing around everywhere. And you, during that time, you just get involved in everything and you want to give, 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 give. And it just, there's no stopping. You, you, you get so involved, you just can't see where you need to be able to take that step back and be able to give time to yourself. Absolutely. I think, I think it's important for head coaches to have good assistant coaches um, that they can count on and for assistant coaches to make sure that they don't get overloaded as well. So I do think it is a a challenging thing for coaches because they uh, do commit and try to lead by example and very easy for them to um, fall into the trap of just giving that bit too much and not being uh, that little bit selfish and putting themselves uh, and their family first at times. Yeah. And it is like you said before, having that team behind you. It takes a team to build a team. So you get that great team behind you who can support you that if you do need that time away, then you can. Yeah. Good point. I really like that. There's so much great information coming out here. It's fantastic. (laughs) So how as an individual and an industry, do you think we can promote and develop Learn to Swim and also the competitive side so we can encourage more participants? And is there any way we can do that with less funding? <laughs> um, well, this is a massive question, isn't it? Yeah. Massive question. Okay, so industry. Okay, uh, I think we need to look at firstly... Um, people going to come into the industry or come into swimming for water safety. It's a life-saving skill that we want every child to uh, be able to learn. I do think that some aspects of it, somehow we could try to make a bit more fun. And I don't have the answers to that. I know I take two little ones at the moment, a three and a five-year-old that we have at home to gymnastics and it is so much fun and the themes are changing every three weeks and that they have and the the way they do things is changing every three weeks and uh i think about um a swim teaching system and, and yes we're able to put elements of fun in there but just looking at how can we uh, fast-track aquatic literacy in order to get better water safety. But I don't have answers. I know with the, the five-year-old we have at home at the moment, she doesn't do swimming lessons. She plays. We have her in the water almost every day playing. And it's amazing just watching the um, aquatic awareness develop and seeing her aquatic literacy develop. Mm-hmm. And, and by that, I mean watching her just like face down, lift her head, and you could see that she could feel her feet dropping and then dropping her head and the feet coming back up again and thinking, wow, it, it's something that even some squad swimmers, you know, at a young age don't get. And there's a, young year old, a five-year-old that can't swim freestyle, but she's 
developing this amazing awareness and understanding of how her body sits in the water and, and feels in the water and floats and moves. So I think overall, somehow, you know, you, you, we have people that come to lessons once a week and they, they don't do any or spend any other time in the water with their children. I, I think we need to somehow encourage the go to the pool and play side of swimming. Don't have less lessons, but go to the pool and play, go to the beach and play. Of course, it's got to be supervised smartly and, and you know, parents have to be responsible. But I think we'll see uh, an improvement in uh, our younger swimmers through that. Yep. Secondly, um, getting swimmers to develop that passion, that lifelong passion for being in the water, I think will come through that level of play. I don't think... I don't think too many people develop a lifelong passion for swimming just from going to a swimming lesson. <laughs> I, I think it, it, it's got to be enjoyable for them. It's got to be, uh, you know, it could be a family activity uh, that's fun and that doesn't involve any level of pressure or anything like that, but it, they, they just in, enjoy being in and around water. I think, Katrina, I think we can transfer better from learn to swim to squad. Mm. so I know a lot of swim schools aren't connected to squads and I know a lot of squads aren't connected to swim schools and I would encourage swim school coordinators and coaches to reach out and make those connections the squad will find that you know all of a sudden they have a, a sustainable income of children coming from those swim schools and uh, I think the swim teachers or, or the swim school uh, could then, if they're going to pass swimmers on to local squads or clubs, could be asking a bit more from those coaches to maybe come and run a PD session. Yeah. But I think that, that, that transfer from learn to swim to squad needs to be better. And then I, I think in those early levels of squad, there is considerable dropout because kids are, are trying the sport for the first time, because before they have lessons, they're trying the sport for the first time, and they're either going to love it or hate it. And I think part of the key there is trying to get the child, get them into swimming club as soon as possible to give them that taste of competition. Because it, it, it's one thing to, to go to squad and swim laps, but if you're not tasting competition, then... The, the child's sort of starting to think, well, why, what, what, what am I doing here? Mm. Them up and down, they don't see themselves progressing or getting better. They don't know that they're getting faster. And so the swimming club would give them that element of, of being able to see their times and all that type of thing. I think, you know, getting the commitment from parents as well is getting harder, you know, to get parents to commit to swimming club or to commit to... Uh, training and all those types of things and carnivals uh, when there's, life seems to have so many things going on nowadays. Um, less funding in the sport, but is there less money in the industry? I'd probably say the industry is probably getting more money than ever. Mm, good point. You know, I think the industry is doing well. I think sport needs to find ways to become more attractive and more fun and re-engage or reinvent itself in some ways if possible but uh, you know I, I think if you went around to all the swim schools and squads 
to look at the numbers of swimmers we have nowadays, I would, I would be very surprised if it, those numbers are going backwards, whereas our sport membership is going backwards. Mm. Yeah. So to me, the, the issue there isn't the industry. It's around, okay, what part of the sport is it that people aren't enjoying? Yeah. And I think it's something like the connection, like you said, someone else brought that up, that they were spending time in the learn to swim with their son and five metres across was the pool uh, for the competitive side and there were six kids in a squad but the learn to swim was absolutely full of kids and he was always wondering where that, where those swimmers went, those extra swimmers, how did that you know, that five-metre gap, what went wrong in that time that not so many swimmers transferred over. Yeah, and that's, to me, that's swim school coordinator and, and head coach or, or, you know, making an effort to, to find a way to transfer those kids. And, and, you know, when, you know, if it's a swim school only and you, the kid gets to level whatever it is and it graduates from the swim school, then the, the swim school should be trying to say, well, now it's time for you to go to swim club. And the swim club or the, the coaches should be out there trying to connect with those swim schools. We all know which swim schools they are, right? And we all know which clubs don't have learn to swim programs feeding them. Yep. So I think it's pretty easy to, to make those connections and to find a way and more come and try days and that type of thing. And then somehow, you know, like I said, to, to make it more fun, maybe some more team-based activity. But I also think there are swim clubs out there, and I know with the club that I'm president of with Kerrang, we have 100 and we're now up to 130, and we're Learn to Swim as well as club. So there's 130 kids swimming from beginner, so five years old upwards. But I have 10, six to 10. So there's six kids probably compete, 10 to 12 that are in the squad out of that 130 kids in the pool. Yeah. Now we've got a lot of lot of young ones in our lower levels, but again, we're not seeing that connection going through into our squad teams, and they're in the pool exactly the same time when all our other learn to swim kids are in. So I think there's also still that connection building between those learn to swim and the competitive kids in squads that have the learn to swim below them as well, and getting that feeding through and connecting with them. Absolutely. And I, again, I think it's got to be driven by the, the coaches and some teachers need to create that pathway, form those relationships. And it's on the swim teachers to try to move them onto the squad. It's on the coaches to try and get them into the squad. Uh, but then it's on the coaches to make it fun and challenging and, and, and form the relationship with the child that they want to come back. You know, it's on the club to show the parent value and the coach to show the parent that there's value for money and something worthwhile in swimming. Yep. And that's it. It is value for money because it is getting expensive to be able to do sport these days. People are not prioritising sport and prioritising money for sport. So if we can show them the value that they get out of it, they're more than likely we can hopefully draw them into the sport and bring them along, especially if they can see the value of learn to swim as well and then how you know somehow push that through into the competitive side and getting them involved absolutely yeah and taking that barrier out because there are invisible barriers and it can be different for everyone 
but trying to make that connection as well to bring them along. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I do love your point in play and it's something that I have always thought of because with my children, when our pools are open here in the country, I am busy running my lessons and same thing, I take them along to the pool and they will go off and play. My daughter used to take my phone and watch an app on my phone about swimming and then the next minute she's floating on her back and I haven't even touched her and she, oh, I learned it off the app and I thought that doesn't do much for my teaching. Uh-huh. <laughs> to see them excel and do really well, I always feel guilty at the end of the season that I haven't put so much effort into them as I have everyone else's kids. But they're still learning, they're still developing and just being able to play in that pool while I'm running my lessons has just made a big impact for them to be able to know and feel the water. My three older children learnt through play. The boys, look, they had three swimming lessons, but they screamed and it was my own swim school and I didn't think that was good for business, so I pulled them out. <laughs> and uh, I uh, then we learned through play and I'd play follow the leader. So I'd do a bomb dive. They'd do a bomb dive. I'd swim underwater. They'd swim underwater. I'd do torpedo. They'd do torpedo. Then I'd do another bomb dive. They'd do another one and then I'd do some dog paddle and they'd do dog paddle with barking, of course, because... <laughs> If you're not barking, it's not dog paddle. That's right. And and that's how my sons learned to swim. And if you if you swore them swim today, you'd uh, you'd swear that they spent years in squad. Yep, that's amazing. Just being able to you being able to demonstrate to them what they can do, mm. um, and how it's done. They've just learned from that observation more than having it drilled into them in a lesson as well. Yeah, look, it, it was a lot of fun, and you know there were diving games diving two meters to get rings off the bottom and all those types of things it was you know how how to bring that element to of that type of experience would be uh really good that that uh gymnastics experience is quite amazing for those toddlers and uh, pre-preps as we put them up here uh, but three to five year olds when they go to gymnastics it, it seems like a lot of fun the stimulus is changing and the the apparatus is changing. Mm, that's right. Yeah. And it's yet something new each time. And, and they develop that skill. They probably learn a lot quicker because they know they've got a certain amount of time on it. They're engaged and then they're not spending so many weeks on it that they're just like, okay, we've done this. What's next? What's... There's always something new once they develop that skill and they're yeah. moving through it quicker. I think a, another area that we, we're working on over here is uh, at Genesis is when, when we see that kids aren't progressing probably as good as they are, we actually have a, we do have a gym here and we have uh, physical literacy classes for, for kids. And so sometimes rather than do additional water time, we try to get the kids into a physical literacy class just to boost their coordination skill and confidence and uh, all of them. We, we've had some, some good success around that. What a good idea to be able to take it out of the water and relate it just to everyday coordination mm. um, and then to see how that develops when they go back in. Yeah. It's just dry land for learn to swim. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, we all need a little bit of dry land to keep yeah. us going. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What an amazing insight into it. And there is a lot more that we can do and that connection we can make with our swimmers, our parents, but also our teams. It can go through from learn to swim to 
our squad swimmers, our competitive swimmers, and there is no, you know, there shouldn't be a difference. There should be, we learn to swim to meet them through to competition to be able to see that connection that we can all make a difference. Your swim teacher, someone they teach can go to the Olympics and they should be able to know that and be able to promote that. Absolutely. We need to uh, create the vision and let, let kids dream. Yes. Let kids dream. They should be allowed to dream. And, and you know, we want, we want to see kids be allowed to dream without, without fear of judgment or failure. Yep. Let them see what they can achieve. And if they don't get there, it's, it's not a big disappointment. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just, you know, we didn't achieve that goal, but there's so many more things they can do. What, what have they learned from it? Yeah. At the end of the day, they find their niche. You know, hey, you know what? I was never going to be a, a brain surgeon because I wasn't a, a academic enough. You know, not handy enough to build a, a little shed or a house because I, I just don't have that in me. But uh, I wasn't athletic enough to make a, a national team or anything like that, right? But along the way, people will find their, their niche and it's okay to, to try and fail. But it's about uh, people creating a self-belief in kids so that they, they at least have a go. That's exactly right. Well, it's been amazing the information you've given us, the, the philosophies that you have for swimming is absolutely amazing and I know people are going to take a lot out of this. I already have and I can't wait to go back and edit it because I learned so much more from editing as well. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing what you know and I really hope that in the future we can see you sharing this with a lot more people and showing us the history and your philosophies in swimming. Thanks Katrina, thanks for doing the podcasts and I'm I'm sure swimming people out there everywhere uh, appreciate what you're doing, I certainly do and uh, when we can have a conference, I look forward to sharing a beer in the bar. Yeah, beautiful, I'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't wait for that. It'll be good. 